All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 13. And on Wednesday nights, we take a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book, uh, studying different passages and making application as we go through. And as we've been going through the book of 2 Samuel, uh, lately, recently, we've been dealing with the fact that David... Uh, committed adultery with another man's wife, with Bathsheba, and then had Uriah, her husband, put to death. And in chapter 13, we're going to begin to see the results of that. David is going to begin to reap from that sin. And here in this chapter, we have Abnon, the son of David, uh, perform a very sinful act against his half-sister. Uh, and, and we see, of course, Absalom, his brother, ended up killing him as a result. And as we look at this passage and we look at the story, there are several uh, lessons that we can learn from it. I want to give you just three lessons tonight, three things that we can learn from this passage. We'll do it as quickly as we can. We have pizza coming, so i got to move quickly. But if you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to take notes if you don't have a baby on your lap or something like that. The first thing I'd like you to write down, the first thing we're going to see is we learn a lesson in this passage about the power of our friends. The power of our friends. Notice verse number one there. It says, And it came to pass after this, that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So you've got Amnon, who the Bible tells us is in love with his sister. Now it is his half-sister. They have the same father, David, but a different mother. But either way, he, he's in love with her, and he's infatuated with her. In fact, if you look at verse 2, the Bible says this, and Amnon was so vexed. The word vexed means he was irritated. He was distressed. He was annoyed. He was so in love with this young lady. Every time he saw her, he was, he, his heart was just kind of wretched and, and vexed as a result. And the Bible says that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and Amnon, I want you to make note of this phrase. And in fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you ought to underline this in, in the Bible there at the end of verse 2. It says, Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So you've got to understand, Amnon had a desire and a love for a woman that uh, was not his and that would never be his or that should not have been his. And, and, and even though he allowed that covetousness to play in his mind and his heart, his heart was vexed towards her, he never thought to act on it. The Bible is very clear. It tells us Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Amnon understood, this is my sister. This is not legal. This is not right. This goes against the laws of God. This goes against society. And he, and he, he kind of decided that he would spend the rest of his life vexed, and upset about this situation, but he would never act upon it. And then verse 3 says this, But Amnon had a friend. But Amnon had a friend. See, Amnon had a wrong desire, but he had no plan to fulfill it. Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to his half-sister Tamar. But then the Bible tells us this, that Amnon had a friend. And this friend gave him a plan. And this friend gave him a temptation. And this friend encouraged him to fulfill a wrong desire. Look at verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. You got to remember that name. We're going to talk a lot about Jonadab tonight. The son of Shimei, David's brother. This is his cousin. This is uh, Shimei, David's brother. And this is Jonadab, is Shimei's son. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Look at verse 4. And he said unto him, notice what he says. He says, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? He says, 
He says, what's wrong with you, Amnon? He says, you deserve better than this, Amnon. Listen to me. You need to be careful with the friend who comes up to you. Ladies, if you work and you're at work and you've got that buddy who's you know, you're, you're talking about your marriage and you're talking about your husband and you're talking about this and you're talking about that and you got that friend who says, well, you deserve better than him. Or men, you've got that lady co-worker who says, well, you deserve better than her. You deserve better than that. Why are you being the king's son lean from day to day? Hey, be wary with the friend who's always trying to tell you that you deserve better and that you don't need to put up with that and that who are they and, and you should be happy. Notice what he says. Why art thou being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now listen to me. This was wrong of Amnon. But there are some things that are better left unsaid. And you want to be very careful. We've got a lot of young people sitting in this room right now. And I want every child and teenager to listen to me. There are some things you don't need to tell your friends about. There are some desires, there are some thoughts that you don't need to open up. You need to go to God with those things. You need to confess those things to God. The mistake that Amnon made was he had a friend that was prying. And listen to me, you say, well, do only children deal with that? No, adults deal with that. We've got some ladies running around here. You know, you got to be careful around certain ladies because they're trying to pry and get personal information about your family and about details about your relationship. Hey, be careful with a friend who's trying to get some information, who's trying to give you some advice, who's trying to tell you you deserve better than that, who's trying to say, well, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Well, thou not tell. Why don't you tell me all the details? Why don't you tell me all your problems? Why don't you tell me? And Amnon said, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Notice verse 5. And John had said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And he said, I, I, got a, I got a plan for you. I've got an idea. Why don't you act like you're sick? And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it and eat it at her hand. I want you to understand something, that Jonadab gives Amnon an idea He plants something. The Bible tells us he was never, he thought it hard to do anything to her. He never planned on acting upon his desires, but he had a friend who said, why don't you try this? Why don't you go there? Why don't you lie to your dad? Why don't you deceive in this area? And Amnon ended up doing something that he never would have done if it were not for the influence of a quote-unquote friend. Notice verse 6. So Amnon laid out. And made himself sick. And when, the king was co- and when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come. Why don't you remember that phrase? That phrase that Amnon says to David. He says, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, now notice this, how about all men from me? Now look, as soon as Amnon says that, a red flag, lady, young ladies, listen to me. As soon as a guy says, I want to be with you alone. Everybody leave. You know, just, just me and her. Hey, red flag go up. This is not a good situation. This is not, it's not good for a man to be alone with another man that he's not married to. 
He says, how about all men from me? And they went out, every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, bring the meat into uh, the chamber that I may eat of thine hand. Are you that sick? I mean, what are you, paralyzed from the neck down? You need her to feed you, you know, to your mouth? And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Notice verse 11. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay. She said, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly, and I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king. For he will not withhold her, uh, withhold me from thee. Now, this is just a side note, but as we go through this chapter, we're, we're going to begin to see the parenting problems that David had. And here we see one of them. Here you've got Tamar, who's about to be defiled by her own breath. She's a virgin young lady. She's never been with a man. She's about to be taken advantage of, not by a stranger, but by her own brother. And notice what she pleads is this speak to dad, tell dad. He will not withhold me from thee. David had a reputation of allowing his children to have whatever they wanted. David was a bad dad. David was a man after God's own heart. He did many wonderful things, but he was a terrible father. And one of them was, you know, Tamar says, you, you know that. He never says no to you. He never says no to anyone. He'll let you do whatever you want. Why don't you speak to dad? Why don't you speak to the king? For he will not withhold me from thee. That's sad. Verse 14, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Now keep your place there in 2 Samuel 13. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 27. If you, you're there in 1 Samuel, you're going to go past 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 27 and verse 17, the first lesson we can learn from this story is about the power of your friends. Your friends will either make you better or they will make you worse. It is very important who your friends are. And it doesn't matter if you're 13 or 43. It doesn't matter what, what age you're in or how much money you make or how successful you think you are. Your friends will influence you. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. A friend should be someone that makes you better. Jonadab was a terrible friend because when Jonadab was a friend with Amnon, he didn't make Amnon better. He didn't make Amnon more spiritual. He didn't, it's not like Amnon came to Jonadab and said, I got these feelings for my sister. And Jonathan said, what are you, crazy? That's insane. You got to confess that to God. And you got to don't think that way. Get right with God. That's your sister. You know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. No, Jonathan was the opposite. Jonathan said, well, I've got a plan. Well, I've got an idea. Well, I think. And listen to me. There's many a young person, especially if you are a teenager. Please listen to me tonight. There is many a teenager that drank their first drop of alcohol, that took their first drug, that broke the law, ended up in juvie, ended up in in prison, ended up ruining their lives, not because they ever would have done it on their own, but they had a friend. They had a friend that said, why don't you try this? Why don't you go there? Why don't you lie to dad? Why don't you lie to mom? Why don't you go down this road? And listen to me, you better be careful who your friends are. 
Because they will either make you better or they will make you worse. Are you there in Proverbs 27? Go to Proverbs 13. Look at verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. The Bible says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But the companion of fools shall be destroyed. You will be who you hang around with. Be very careful who you choose as friends because they will influence. You know what I've noticed? If you hang around spiritual people, you'll start being spiritual. You hang around soul winners, you'll start going soul winning. You hang around people who love the Lord, you'll start loving the Lord. You hang around people who read the Bible, you'll start reading the Bible. You hang around people that are covetous, you'll, you'll start your turn covetous. You hang around people that are lazy, you'll become lazy. You hang around people that don't love the Lord, you'll, you'll start to not love, love the Lord. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Someone said, I read this in a book and I thought it was interesting. It says your income will be the average of your five closest friends. If you find your five closest friends, figure out how much they make every year, add that, divide it by five, that will be your income. Poor people hang out with poor people. Did you know that? Lazy people hang out with lazy people. Do you know that? Successful people hang out with successful people. Did you know that? Drug addicts hang out with drugs. Did you know that? Drunkards hang out with drunkards. You say, well, well, I'm not going down that road. Then why are you hanging out with those people? Well, I love the Lord. Then why are you hanging around with people that don't love the Lord? Well, I, I'm a soul. Then why do you hang out with people that aren't so? It, it's always funny to me how there's some people, you know, everyone who quits the church, who gets backslidden, it's always funny to me how there's certain people I've noticed will just maintain friendships with people that are backslidden. You say, what do you think about that? I just think they're probably going to get back, backslidden soon. Because there's something about the people you hang out with. There's something about the people you run with. Birds of a feather flock together. And you better make sure you've got some friends that are making you better, not worse. You better make sure you've got some friends that are leading you in the right path and saying, hey, let's go worship the Lord together, not let's go sin together. See, we learn of this young man, Amnon, who literally ruins his life because of a friend. And we learn about the power of friends. But there's another lesson I'd like you to notice. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 13, look at verse 1. Not only do we learn about the power of friends, but we also learn about the problem with fornication. There's a lesson here about fornication and what's wrong with it. One of the things that's wrong with it, look at verse 1. See, Amnon loved Tamar. And I believe he really did love her. I mean, the, the Bible tells us he loved her. The narrator of the scripture here, the Holy Spirit, is telling us, notice verse 1, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Abner, the son of David, loved her. The Bible tells us he loved her. Look at verse 4. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Will thou not tell me? And Abner said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother's sisters, my brother Absalom's sister. He said, I love her. Go down to verse number 15. I want you to notice what happens after Amnon fulfills his lust with this young lady who he says he loves. In verse 15, the Bible says this, And Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he loved her. See, he did love her, but he ended up hating her more than he loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise and be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the, than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servants that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman. Notice he calls her this woman. He can't even speak her name. 
He said, put out now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of diverse colors upon her. For such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servants brought her out and bolted the door after her. Listen to me very carefully, especially you young ladies. Maybe tonight's sermon is just for the kids, but especially you young girls. When lust is emphasized, love is de-emphasized. When you emphasize lust in a relationship, you will lose love. See, he loved her. I think he really did love her. But after he defiled her, after he had his way with her, after he emphasized lust with her, then the Bible says he hated her. Look, this explains why so many guys disappear from the picture when they find out that the girl they've been fornicating with is pregnant. Well, he told me he loved me. Until he had his way with you. When lust lust is emphasized, love is de-emphasized. And by the way, this is why couples who live together before marriage, people say, oh, well, we got to live together to kind of make sure we're compatible. It's, it's it's, It's proven statistically, couples who live together before they're married are more likely to end up in divorce. So why is that? Because when you emphasize lust, you de-emphasize love. I've got an article here published by the New York Times. It says... Cohabitation in the United States has increased by more than 1,500% in the past half century. In, in 1960, and cohabitation is their you know, word for shacking up, for living together when you're not married. In the 1960s, about 450,000 unmarried couples lived together. Now the number is more than 7.5 million. The majority of young adults in their 20s will live with a romantic partner at least once, and more than half of all marriages will be preceded by cohabitation. This shift has been attributed to the sexual revolution and the availability of birth control in our current economy. In a national-wide survey conducted back in 2001, the National Marriage Project, then at Rutgers, now at the University of Virginia, nearly half of 20-somethings agreed with this statement. You would only marry someone if he or she agreed to live together with you first so that you could find out whether you really got along. About two-thirds said they believe that moving in together before marriage was a good way to avoid divorce. But the belief is contradicted by experience. Couples who cohabit before marriage, and especially before engagement or, other, or an otherwise clear commitment, tend to be less satisfied with their marriages and more likely to divorce than couples who do not. These negative outcomes are called the cohabitation effect. I'll call it the shacking up effect, the fornication effect. Now you say, well, I don't understand. Why? Because doesn't it make sense? Like, well, if you live together, then, then you'll, be, you'll figure out if you're compatible. But here, here's the problem, and here's what they found. They said, they, they talked about this lady. She's 32 years old. She lived with her boyfriend for four years. When they got married, they spent all this money on a lavish wedding. When they got married, they were divorced within a couple of months. And they said, well, well what happens? Here's what happened. She was talking about what researchers call sliding, not deciding. See, moving from dating to sleeping over, to sleeping over a lot, to cohabitation can be a gradual slope. One not marked by rings or ceremonies or sometimes even a conversation. Couples bypass talking about why they want to live together and what it will mean. 
So a lot of times these people, it's just kind of like what they sleep over, then they sleep over a lot, then they end up buying a toothbrush, then they end up, and, and no decision was ever made, and then they've been living together for like seven years, so it's like, well, I guess we might as well get married. I mean, we got three kids together, might as well just get married. And there was never an actual decision made like, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And here's one, the, the thing. It says, one thing men and women do agree on, however, is this. Their standard for a living partner is lower than it is for a spouse. So they end up living with someone for 7 years, 10 years, 15 years. In their mind, they're like, well, I'd never marry this person, but I'd live with them. But then they end up getting married with that person. Then they realize, like, I'm stuck with this person for the rest of my life. And they're divorced within a few years. What if you just lived apart and said, I'm going to commit to this young girl. I'm going to commit to this young man. I'm going to put a ring on their finger. I'm going to decide till death do us part. You're way more likely to live a satisfied life. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. When you emphasize lust, when you emphasize the bedroom, when you emphasize shacking up in your marriage, you de-emphasize love. And that's why these guys will have their way with young ladies and leave them. That's why... These couples will fornicate for years and years and years and years and years, and they seem to be happy. They're like, well, we've been together for this long. Might as well get married. Yeah, you're together for that long because you're just thinking to yourself, like, well, I'm just living with this person. I know they're not really, they're not the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, but then you've got children with them, then you've been with them for so long, then you get married, you're way more likely. And look, I know today, 2016, you know, Pastor Jimenez, you're just going at it again, you're just going to preach against fornication. I'm never going to quit preaching on fornication. I don't care what our society thinks. I don't care how many people are shacking up. I'm not here to build a big church. Have you, have you noticed that? I'm not here. Look, if I wanted to just have 10,000 people, I'd get up and preach for five minutes on the grace of God. I'd have a rock concert. I'd drive a Bentley. That's what I do. I'm here to preach the Bible. And I don't care what our society says. I don't care what anybody thinks. Fornication is wicked. It's filthy. God says to flee it. And if it's happening at Mary Baptist Church, you need to get out. Amen. If it's happening at our church, you need to just leave and never come back or get right with God. I'm sick of this society that's saying, well, you know, in this situation, no, the Bible says you get married, you walk down an aisle, you make a commitment till death do us part. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what people think. I don't care what they want to go. Here we see a young man who loved a young lady till he slept with her, till he took something that didn't belong to him. Then he hated her. You girls, listen to me. Protect your purity. Protect your bodies. Don't be a cheap whore. If a guy wants to be with you, make him pay. I, I'm not talking about pay in a, in a bad way. I'm saying make him make a commitment. Make him get a ring. Make him, you know, say, hey, I want to be with you. You say, I'm just going to sleep around with you. Just any guy, you know. Well, he said he loved me, but he's going to hate you the next day. He's going to throw you out the door and bolt the door behind you the next day. And here we got this young lady. We learn about the problem with fornication. We learn about the power of friendship. Let me give you the third one. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 13. We learn about the practice of our foe. So what are you talking about? Did you know that you and I have a foe? We have an enemy. We have an adversary. His name is the devil. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Satan. You and I are fighting against him. The Bible says that, 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 that he walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
And here in the story, what's interesting is that Jonadab actually pictures Satan. I want you to notice the similarities. Are you there in 2 Samuel 13? Look at verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab, I want you to notice how Jonadab is described. Jonadab was a very subtle man. Is that word subtle? That's used to describe Satan. Let's look at it together. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel 13. Go to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Remember the Garden of Eden? Remember the serpent who was the devil? The book of Revelation tells us that that old serpent is Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the serpent, notice what the Bible says, Genesis 3, verse 1, I want you to see it. Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more subtle. You see that word subtle? Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. John and I, we're told, was a very subtle man. The serpent, we're told, was more subtle than any beast of the field. Go, go back to 2 Samuel 13. We see that John and I, like the devil, was very subtle. But we also see this, that Jonadab, like the devil, will tempt you. Notice what Jonadab does in verse 5. And Jonadab said unto David, lay thee down on thy bed. I'm sorry, Jonadab said unto him, lay thee down on thy bed and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say to him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat at her hand. He, he said, here's what you need to do. And he tempted him. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Just look at it quickly. Matthew chapter 4. Notice what, what the Bible, what the Bible. <laughs> Notice what the Bible, I have an accent that sometimes keeps me from saying things right. Notice what the Bible says about the devil. All right. That's what I, not Babel, but devil and Bible. All right. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 1. Then was Jesus led up with the spirit into the wilderness to be, notice, tempted of the devil. See that? Notice verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. Notice verse 3. And when the tempter, notice how he's called the tempter, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So here we see that not only was John and Ab a subtle man, John and Ab was a tempter. Satan, the Bible tells us, the serpent in the garden was a subtle beast. And here in Matthew chapter 4, we're told that he is the tempter, or he uh, tempted Jesus. He was tempted of the devil. Now go, go back to Second uh, Samuel chapter 13. Let me, let me show you another similarity that Jonadab has to Satan. Second Samuel chapter 13, look at verse number 19. 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 19. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of diverse colors that was on her head and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? And here we see the second problem with David's parenting. Here's what's interesting. Tamar shows up. She's got this, you know, this garment that represents her virginity rent. She's crying. She, she, she has, uh, uh, the Bible tells us that she rent her garment of diverse colors. She put ashes on her head. Uh, she laid her hand on her head as she's crying. And in verse 20, Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon, thy brother, been with thee? He sees her and he says, Have you been with Amnon? It's interesting how Absalom knew if something bad happens to Tamar, it's probably going to be Absalom. It's probably going to be Amnon. And here's the question I have. Why didn't David know that? When Amnon goes to David and says, Can you let my sister Tamar come? Why doesn't David say, Well, why do you need Tamar? 
You know, Absalom knew that Amnon was capable of doing what David apparently did not know what that Absalom was capable of doing. Notice what he says. He says, but behold now thy peace, but behold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother's Absalom's house. Look at verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. Now here we see the third problem with David's parenting. He's very upset about what happens. He, he learns about what happened. He was very wroth. But notice, David takes no action to discipline or punish his child. He hears about it, he's upset, but he does nothing to correct it. He's not a very good dad. And things get worse from here as a result of that. Look at verse 22. And, Abs- and Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years, sometimes it takes a while for things to catch up with you, that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal Hazer, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant hath, uh, hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants, go with thy servants. And the king said unto Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pre- pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, notice what Absalom says. And I want, do you remember this? Does this sound familiar? He said, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon. Remember Amnon said to David, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar, because he was planning to hurt Tamar. Now you've got Absalom saying to David the same thing. I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us, because he's planning to hurt Amnon. And the king said unto him, why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him, that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. He said, let's get him drunk, and he'll be happy. And when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. I want you to remember all that. Fear not, have not I commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in the way that the tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's son, and there is not one of them left. Then the king arose and tore his garment and lay on the earth, and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. I want you to notice verse 32. Look what happens. And Jonadab. Remember Jonadab? Very subtle man. Remember Jonadab? He's a tempter. He represents Satan. Notice what Jonadab does. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's son, for Amnon only is dead. And by the appointment of Absalom, this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now I want you to notice what Jonadab does. He not only goes and tempts Amnon and gets him to do this to his sister, once he does it, and once he pays the consequences for it, then Jonadab goes to Amnon's father, the king, and says, look what your son did. He said, don't think they're all dead. He said, they're not all dead, only Abnon. And he's dead because, don't you remember, king, when the, the day that he forced his sister Tamar? And even in this, Jonadab is very much like Satan. You say, why? Go to Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 10. Revelation should be fairly divine, last, last uh, book in the Bible. Revelation chapter number 12, and look at verse number 10. While you go there, I'll read for you Second. Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible says this, Let Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant 
of his devices. We're not ignorant of how uh, uh, Satan works. You say, well, how does Satan work? Revelation 12, look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Notice how the Bible describes Satan. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. See, we learn something about the practice of our foe. Because here's what Jonadab does. He goes to Amnon and he says, why don't you try this? Let me tempt you. Let me entice you. Let me talk in your ear. Let me give you a plan. Then Amnon does it. Then Amnon gets uh, 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 what he deserves as a result of it. And then Jonadab goes to his dad and says, see what your son did? And you know what Satan does to you and I? He will take us and he will tempt us and he will entice us and he will get on your shoulder and he'll speak in your ear and he'll say, well, why don't you try this? And why don't you do that? And then we go and follow it. Then we fall on our face. Then we get chastised. And then you know what he does? He goes and accuses us before God. Look what your sons did. Look what your children did. That's what he was attempting to do with Job. He wasn't successful, but he wanted to get Job to to say something against God so then he could go to God and say, look what Job did. Now listen to me. If you know that, if we are not ignorant of his devices, why don't you stop and think the next time Jonadab approaches you? The next time that friend comes to you, the next time that friend says, why don't we try this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we go here? Why don't we sneak out here? Why don't we just lie? Just don't tell your mom. Just don't tell your husband. Just don't tell your wife. Just don't tell your dad. Just don't tell the teacher. Just don't tell the the, the boss. Let's try this. Just realize that all that's going to happen. See, Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to humiliate you. Satan wants to shame you. All that's going to come at the end of it is Satan standing at your dad saying, look what you're son did. Look what your daughter did. And if you know that, and if I know that, why don't we just stop and say, you know what, Jonadab, get lost. You know what, Satan? The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why don't you just decide and say, you know what, I'm not going to go down this road because right now you're, you're acting real nice and right now you're acting very enticing and right now you want me to go down this road and you say, yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, but you're not going to be there when I fall dead. You're not going to be there when I suffer the consequence. In fact, all you're going to be doing is accusing me. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. All Satan has for you at the end of all of it is shame and ridicule. And then we sit there and we struggle with guilt. And then we sit there and say, well, it's just, you know, I just I have this past. And I have to get up here and say, hey, Paul said forgetting those things which are behind. And Paul did say that. You know what? He said that for a reason. Because Satan wants to use your past and accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's John and I who sits there and says, well, it's John, you know, it's because of what he did. It's because, don't you remember when he forced his sister? So look, learn, learn from it. Realize this is his pattern. This is his practice. This is what he does. He tempts you. Then he says, look, look, look what he did. He, te- he tempts you. He trips you. Then he says, look, he fell. You saw that, God? You see that? And you say, I got to deal with the shame. And I got to deal with the guilt. And I got to deal with the ridicule. And I got to deal with the consequences. Look, before you go down that road, just tell Jonadab, get lost. Because he's not going to be there to visit you at the hospital. He's not going to be there to defend you in court. He's not going to to be there and help you raise that child. 
He doesn't love you. He doesn't like you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. That's what the Bible says. The thief came to kill and to destroy. And what we're beginning to see here is the book is beginning to turn, and we're going to begin to see David reap what he sowed. And it's very interesting because go, go back to verse number 11. Let me just show you a couple of things as we finish up. Here are the things we learned. We learned about the power of our friends. Your friends have power over you. They will influence you. Make sure you're not hanging around with a bunch of unspiritual, backslidden, people who don't love God. People who are, if you're not drinking, then don't hang around people that drink. If you're not smoking, don't hang around people that smoke. If you don't want to be broke, then don't hang around people that are broke. If you want to love the Lord, then hang out with people that love the Lord. We learn about the problem with fornication. Here's the problem with fornication is if you emphasize lust, you de-emphasize love. And once lust is fulfilled, hatred comes. It says, I don't want that. We learn about the practice of our foe. He tempts you, then he ridicules you. He tempts you, then he accuses you. He tempts you, then he points at you and embarrasses you and shames you. But David doesn't do anything about it. David doesn't do anything to punish Amnon. David doesn't do anything to punish Absalom. And here's why. As David is watching all of this play out, he's watching himself. In 2 Samuel 13, 11, the Bible says this, And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And David heard about it, and David was upset about it. But you know what David saw? When he heard that Amnon had taken a woman that did not belong to him, you know all that David saw was the fact that David had taken a woman named Bathsheba that did not belong to him. In verse number 28 of chapter 13, the Bible says this, Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. You see Absalom telling Amnon, Why don't you have another drink? Why don't you have another one? Another round on the house. But you know what David sees when he hears that story? He sees himself telling Uriah, Why don't you have another drink? Remember, try to get Uriah drunk because you want to hurt Uriah. And you have Absalom getting Amnon drunk because you want to hurt Amnon. And when I say unto you, notice verse 28, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have I not commanded you. Here we see Absalom, like David, using someone else to kill on his behalf. Isn't that just like David? Absalom tells his servants, get him drunk, and when I say the word, you kill him. Don't be afraid. Have not I commanded you? He said, you kill him. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm just going to have you do it. And, and we see a picture here of David telling Joab, can you kill Uriah for me? I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to get you to do it. See, David never stepped in. You know why? Because he saw too much of himself. You know why you and I often don't step in? Because we see too much of ourselves. We see our children making stupid decisions. They say, well, I did not. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you did that. It doesn't matter if you went down that road. David needed to step in on behalf of his children, but he chose not to. Because he saw a little bit too much of himself in them. 
Let's be careful as parents to live our lives in a way. Let's be careful as leaders to live with such moral integrity that we can step in and say, no, we're not going down that road. No, you're not going to do that. No, I will acknowledge that. I will punish that. I will confess that. And not let our kids make the same stupid decisions we made under the guise of, well, I did that. David, it doesn't matter what you did. You need to step in. And we see in chapter 13, his family begins to crumble and to be ruined because we have a man who's not willing to step in and say, this isn't right. This needs to be dealt with. David needs to be more of a Nathan in chapter 13, but he chose not to. Let's buy our heads up.